Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. We meet Abraham for the first time in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was pulling in one of the camels that him and his dad, Terah, had to work together. Oh, he pulls it all the way over and he's like, oh. I've got to clean one of these things. Man, why don't I have my servants do this? These things are huge, and they smell. You know, I can imagine he picks up some sponge back then or whatever they used and began to scrub the camel, try to make it clean, and ugh. Particularly, Abraham did not want to clean under that tail. But Tara, his dad, wanted him to clean under there and probably thinking, I'm an old man. I'm 75 and yet I still got to do stuff like this. I don't know. And all of a sudden, Abram hears that voice. Abram. Abram. Now, I'm, I'm not certain what it sounded like. I imagine the voice of God would sound deep. Abram. Abram. You know, so I can imagine Abraham is there working with his camel or maybe he's working in his tent, maybe fashioning some sort of utensil or tool that he's got to use. Or maybe he was out working with the goats because Abraham and his father, Terah, were wealthy merchants and probably they had a lot of cattle. And they took care of a lot of camels or goats or whatever it happened to be. Or maybe they were beginning to become merchants. We're not exactly certain. But we do know this, that Abraham was doing something when all of a sudden God came to Abraham and made him an offer. Abraham, Abraham, what? Oh, it's dead. I'll get to that tale. I promise I will. Looks around and doesn't see anything he's like huh thought i heard a voice that is odd and and then all of a sudden he hears it again abraham abraham maybe softer and gentler this time abraham he's like oh that's sarai my wife oh wait because abraham had a dad named tara who he worked for but he was also married to a beautiful woman named Sarai, S-A-R-A-I, Sarai. And he loved her and maybe he's thinking, okay, Sarai, I'm sorry. I should have had that list when I went to Jacob's Shekel Savory and got all our groceries. I'm sorry I forgot the hummus. I always forget that stuff. And he looks around and nobody's there. But he's hearing this voice and then he... He sees him for the first time. And out steps a man. But this isn't a normal man. No, there's something special about him. 
something that made Abraham think, I am speaking to an angel. But Abraham finally realizes he's speaking to God. Later on in Acts chapter 7, we have this deacon named Stephen who's preaching this fantastic sermon centuries later in the New Testament. And he's recounting the history of Israel. And he says to the people that are listening, when the great and glorious God appeared to our father, Abraham. Later on, Abraham's going to be known as Abraham, but right now he's Abraham. Whatever he looked like, whatever Abraham saw, it was great and it was glorious. And our version there says when you read it in the Bible, it doesn't just say God. It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, the Lord. That means that God appeared to Abraham by his personal name, Yahweh. Abraham is busy doing his thing, busy cleaning camels, working with his tools. When the great and glorious God named Yahweh appears and says, Abraham, Abraham. Will you follow me, Abraham? Now, if you've ever struggled with your faith, you've ever wondered, is this whole Jesus thing real? Is following Christ just a big make-believe cartoon or some fairy tale? Is this true? Well, the writers of the Bible knew we would struggle with that very question, and some of them struggled themselves. But whenever they struggled with that question... They came back to one man who, to them, was the greatest example of how to live by faith. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. Faith is the foundation for your Christian life. If you are going to follow Jesus... The initial step is a step of faith saying, I believe that there is Jesus and he died on the cross and he is God. That is a step of faith. And if you're going to step out in faith and continue to live the Christian life by faith, you're going to need some encouragement. Well, the writers of the New Testament, in particular, a guy named Paul, writing in a book called Hebrews, gave Abraham right now he's known as Abraham, as the perfect example of what it would mean to step out in faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it's all about faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And then later on, he lists famous people from the Old Testament who all were great examples of people who lived by faith. And then in verse 6, and he says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. And you know what? One of the people he spends the most time saying, If you want to live by faith, look at this guy. It's Abraham. Now, the book of Genesis was written by Moses. And it was written for the people of Israel who are about to go back into the promised land. 
And it was written to tell them about who they were and where they came from and what types of people they were supposed to be. And it starts off with a great story of creation that we talked about last time. And we meet Adam and Eve and the beauty of creation and their communion. And then we meet the fall and how sin came into the world. And man, when sin came in, it came in fast and it corrupted everything. And then we hear about Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden, but then they had children, Cain and Abel. Well, we meet the first murder. Man, when sin comes in the world, bad things happen fast. Cain gets mad at Abel and kills him. Sin had corrupted every heart in the whole world. And it says that man's thoughts were continually evil. And when God looked at the world, everywhere he looked, men were thinking evil thoughts. Women were thinking evil thoughts. But he had a plan. He said, you know what? I'm going to have to restart everything. And so he found one righteous man, and his name was Noah. And he sends a flood, but he saves Noah and his family, and they survive the flood, but everybody else is wiped out. And we're going to begin again with a righteous man and his wife and their children. And when the flood recedes, it's just Noah and his family. And he says, all right, Noah, you go out and you fill the earth and you populate it. And he gives what is called this mandate to go fill the world with ideas and creation and people and do it. Well, they don't. Instead, you know what the people do? God says spread out, but nope, they clump together and instead they try to be like God themselves. I think they begin to forget about God. They said, you know what? We're like God. And they looked at this guy named Nimrod and they looked at famous, the Bible calls them men of renown. Maybe these are gods to us. And so they clump together and they start to build what's called the Tower of Babel. And this Tower of Babel was going to go high up to God. And it was basically a defiant fist in the face of God saying, we don't need you. We'll do what we want. Well, it's called the Tower of Babel also because it was there that God confounded their languages. God says, all right, if you're not going to obey what I ask you to do, I am going to make you do it. And you know how he makes him do it? He says, all right. Your family, you're all speaking English. Well, guess what? Tomorrow when you're working on that tower and you go, hey, throw me a hammer. And somebody goes, what? He's just babbling at me. I have no clue what he just said. God confounded their languages so that everybody spoke one language. Well, they woke up the next day. Some people were speaking Chinese. Some people were speaking French. Some people were speaking English. Some people are speaking Southern, you know. I can't understand the words you're saying. What are you saying to me? And the sad part is, is this might have ripped families apart. Your brother's speaking Spanish and you're speaking English. Your brother's speaking Chinese and you're speaking Spanish. This might have torn people apart. This was a sad moment. But people began to get together by language groups. They began to spread throughout the world but before they were unified, now with sin, they're broken. They're spread out. There's no community. 
And when you look at the story, you sort of ask yourself, what's going to happen? They're separated from brothers and sisters and families, and they can't understand each other. There is absolute confusion. What is going to happen? And then we turn to Genesis chapter 12, and we meet a hero of faith. We meet Abraham at a critical juncture in the story. Things are confused. And then we meet Abraham. Now, Abraham was living in a city at that time called Ur. U-R. Ur. Now, I've often thought, whoever created this city, I wonder if they thought, what should we name our city? Let's name it a cool name. Something beautiful like Spring Valley or Mount Pleasant or Maryville. Some pretty sounding name. You know, I wonder, hey, what should we name it? I don't know. And I can imagine some guys going, well, uh, what should we name it? Uh, I don't know. Hey, what'd you just say? I said, uh, I don't know. Hey, I like that name. Er? Yeah. You are. Er. That's the name? Er. Yeah. Er. I hate that name. No, that is a great name. Err. Let's name our city Err. Then people high-fived and the founders of the city said, yep, Err it is. And I think it's the worst name in the world. What do you name your football teams? And I wonder what the high school mascot was. Err Tigers? The Err Renegades? I don't know. It's such a bizarre name. Well, it was one of the earliest cities known to man. And it's an area called Mesopotamia. It was in Iran and Iraq today. And Ur was a city that had gone through a boom and had lots of trading and lots of people moving in. And it had grown to great significance. And then it began to go on a bust. It started to go downhill. People started moving away. They had been invaded by some tribes and been in some war. Well, here it began to come back. The city of Ur began to have another boom, and things were going great. And that's when Abram, following his dad Terah, seems to show it up. Abram was a very wealthy man. Abram was a man of renown. He probably sat on the city council. Abram was a significant person in the city of Ur. But you know what's also interesting is Ur worshipped a god. They worshipped specifically the moon god, Sin, S-I-N, which I think is so ironic that any god but God causes us to sin and hear the very name of this god is Sin. Sadly, it seems that Terah was an idolater. It says in Joshua chapter 23, verse 2, that Terah probably led people in the worship of this God named Sin. So think about it. Abraham was probably worshiping this God named Sin himself when out of nowhere comes a God named Yahweh. And this God comes to Abraham. Now, we're not exactly certain how God showed up to Abraham here. I think it was a theophany because later on in Genesis chapter 18, 
Abraham sees God again and he recognizes him and he sees God in human form and he clearly recognizes him and I think he recognizes him because years earlier God had come to Abraham in that same form and I use the big word a theophany. Now a theophany is basically describing how God appeared to man in human form. Or I should say, God appeared to man in a form. Sometimes a theophany, God appears in a whirlwind. God appears in the wind. But God is spirit. We can't even begin to describe the form he takes, but we do know God is spirit. Occasionally, he will show up as the angel of Yahweh. And I think many times he shows up as Jesus himself before he was born. The big word is the pre-incarnate Christ. God shows up as a theophany. God here, I think, shows up as a pre-incarnate Christ in human form. And he comes to Abraham and says, go. I want you to follow me and go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Okay, now think about it. Abraham is a wealthy man. Abraham is a popular guy in town. Abraham has got power and influence, and Abraham is totally worshiping probably another god. And I wonder if Abraham's thinking, I worship the god Sin. But here, this god named Yahweh shows up out of nowhere. And I think that would have been a hint to Abraham that he is talking to somebody special. Because throughout Scripture, and you find in the ancient Near East, gods were very localized. They had a god of the mountain. They had a god of the air. They had a god of the plains. And here they had a god of the city named Sin who controlled that area. Now, if you left the city of Ur, you left that god. He was not able to follow you. He was not omnipresent. Well, whoa. Here is a god invading another god's territory. Here is a god named Yahweh who just shows up out of the blue. And I wonder if Abraham's thinking, how do you do that? How does a god invade another god's territory? This is not a localized god. This might be something special. And this god then says to him, hey, I want you to go. I want you to get up and I want you to follow me. And then he says, I want you to follow me specifically to this place, specifically over there. No. That's not what God says. He says, I want you to get up and I want you to follow me to a land that I will show you. So basically he's saying, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave all this prosperity and I want you to follow me. I'm not going to tell you where, but you just got to follow me. Wow. Would you do that? Well, Yahweh says, if you follow me, and notice it's interesting. He says, I want you to leave your country. Then I want you to leave your people group. And then I want you to specifically leave your father's house. He keeps narrowing it down. And I want you to follow me. Now, Abraham's thinking, wow, do I leave everything I know? My source of income, my source of pride. I love my father. I love my, my family. And they lived in big extended family groups. Leave all that? I don't know. 
So Yahweh asks Abraham to follow him, to leave everything he believes in, everything that he knows, leave it all behind. But then he says, if you follow me, I'm going to give you promises. I'm going to give you stuff that's so wonderful if you would be willing to follow me, to follow me based on four promises that I'm going to give you. Number one, if you follow me, I will give you land. Number two, if you follow me, I'm going to give you seed. And this idea is not literal seed that you plant in the ground, but human seed in the sense that you are going to have so many children that soon your children, says in Genesis 15, they'll number as the stars in the sky, the sand on the beach. You can't even count them. If you follow me, I will give you descendant after descendant after descendant. So he says, hey, if you follow me, I promise I'm going to give you land. Secondly, I will give you descendants. Thirdly, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And the people of Israel were about to go into the promised land. Reading this centuries later, they'd be encouraged. That's us. That's our father Abraham and the people of Israel. And then finally, he says, I want you to follow me. Because I am going to give you a divine blessing. He says all that there. He says, verse 2, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he says, all right, if you're going to follow me. I want you to follow me based on promises. And you know what those promises are? I'm going to give you land. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you so many descendants. And then I am going to bless you. Now, it's interesting there. He says literally there in the Hebrew, blessed. So be a blessing. I'm going to bless you. Be a blessing. Think about that. God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that you will bless other people. And man, I want to ask you kids, and I want to ask you adults, if you know the Lord as your Savior, if you would say that you are a Christian, if you would say that you are a follower of Christ, guess what? You have been blessed. You have Your future is guaranteed. You have a home in heaven. You have a Savior who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I have given you my son who has died on the cross for you. I have blessed you and I will bless you. So be a blessing. Are you a blessing at school? If you know the Lord is your Savior, are you a blessing? When people know that you're coming into their grade, do teachers go, oh, I'm getting frank this school year? Oh, he's terrible. All the teachers say how bad he is and he complains and he always cheats and he gets into fights. Oh, man, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want it. Or maybe at work, you're the guy who's the one who complains, the one who hates to do anything, the one who's always unhappy, the one who always talks about people behind their back. And when people look at your faith and you claim to be a Christian and people are like, ugh, I don't want that. Or instead, are you fulfilling Genesis chapter 12 here? Blessed. So be a blessing. Be kind. You know, I've often said the Christian should be the happiest guy at work. 
He really should. I mean, things can encourage you and discourage you. I understand we go through up and down times, but overall, you should be a blessing to your boss. You should be a blessing to your co-workers, your teachers. They should get excited knowing that, hey, I'm going to have Frank in my classroom this year. And man, he is such a blessing. He brings such joy. And you know what's really cool is that word blessing literally means happy. So you could translate it this way. You're happy. Make others happy. And I would encourage you, think of blessing that way. I have been made happy by God. I have been blessed by God in so many profound ways. I am going to make others happy. I'm going to talk sweetly to my parents. I'm going to talk kindly to my brother. I'm going to talk in nice ways and be kind to my teacher. I'm going to obey. Man, if kids who followed the Lord did that, we could change our world. So God says, I want you to follow me based on four promises that I'm going to make you. If you follow me, I promise you, I'm going to give you land. If you follow me, I promise you, I will give you many descendants. If you follow me, I promise you, I will make you a great nation. And if you follow me, I promise you, you will be blessed and you will therefore be a blessing. Will you follow me, Abraham? Will you follow me? Well, Abraham probably thinks to himself, do I stay here with everything I know? Or do I follow God? And Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, just to show you the faith Abraham had, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And here's the key. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Well, Abraham, he looks at the promises of God, this powerful God named Yahweh who's presented this opportunity. But man, I don't know where I'm going. I'm not certain what I'm going to do. Do I place my trust? Do I place my faith in this God who promises me these four things? Do I trust God stepping out in faith? And it says not knowing where I'm going. Do I do that? Or do I stay here where it's comfortable? I got my stuff. I've got my routine. I've got my money. I've got my income. I know what's happening. And what do I tell my wife, Sarai? Would she follow me? Well, you know what? He steps out in faith. He does it. He trusts in the promises of God. He trusts in this God named Yahweh. And it says he steps out in faith, not knowing where he was going. And I wonder what the conversation with his wife took place that night. You know, hey, Sarah, we're moving. I've got a great offer. Oh, awesome. What? Sarah's like, what is it? Hey, guess what? I have an offer to go to another land. Ooh, I always like to travel, says Sarah. Ooh, I, and, and I've got an offer and to make my name great. We're going to have lots of descendants. And Sarah's like, wow, that's great. And then he says, I'm going to be a blessing to people and I'm going to make other people happy. Wow, that is awesome. That is great. Where are we going? And I don't know. I have no clue. I can't imagine. Sarah's like, what? 
Is there a mall nearby? Is there at least a Starbucks? Where are we going? And I think this shows that Sarai was also a woman of faith, willing to follow her husband. Now, back then, she had to. But when you look at her relationship with her husband, I think this was a woman of faith who said, you know what? I'm going to follow that God, too. And I wonder how many people did God make this offer to until he found the one guy who would say yes? Or did he just know Abraham right away? Because he's God, right? He knew Abraham's heart and said, he'll follow me. Or did he make it to Frank, to Joe, to John, to Fred? And they all said no. But he came to Abraham and Abraham said, hey, I don't know where I'm going. But you are an amazing God. And you are promising me wonderful, amazing things. I'll do it. I'm going to step out in faith. And it says in verse 4, Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And he brought his nephew Lot with him. And it says that Abraham, Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and his family, they left Ur. They left their family. They left their business. And Abraham left all that behind. And it says in Genesis 12, verse 4, that he was 75 years old when he departed and stepped out in faith and followed God. Now, what's going to happen to Abraham? Where is he going? Where is it? What's going to happen next? Well, if you continue listening, man, we are going to find out the adventures that God, Yahweh Almighty, the great and glorious God, takes Abraham on. And man, it is a wild ride. But in the end, I want to encourage you to think about this. Number one, you're blessed. So be a blessing. Do what's right. Obey because you have been blessed. Number two, I just want to encourage you that the Christian life is a life of faith. But it isn't a faith based on chance. No, it is a faith that's based on the promises of God. It is a sure faith because we have an almighty God who's made promises to us in the Bible. Memorize some of those promises. I'm challenging myself with that. I should know more than two promises, right? I should know many promises. There's a book called the Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S. I'd encourage you to read that and look for some promises in that book. These are poems and songs that have been written by various people. It's full of encouraging words and promises. I encourage you to go to that book and start to memorize some of the promises God made you. And every time you open the Bible and have your own devotions, look for it. What promise can I pull out of here? I want to encourage you with two promises. One promise is that God will never leave you or forsake you. If you're a child of his, he loves you. And man, when you get scared and when you get discouraged and when you get down, claim that promise. God promises to never leave me or forsake me. Secondly, I encourage you that God promises that he's making a home for you in heaven. It talks about in the book of John how Jesus says to his disciples, that I'm going to heaven and I'm building a home for you. And my mansion's got many rooms and one of them's set for you. 
So I hope you come back next week to learn what happens to Abraham as he stepped out in faith to follow this great and glorious God and the promises he makes. Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian. Music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian. Edited by Lincoln Katzian. If you'd like to listen to more of Baldhead Bible Podcast, please subscribe. New episodes added every week.